Welcome to Mornings with Mike. Public Safety Today. Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information. Be a part of the show. For more information at any time, please visit www.tapsd.org. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Pazesny. Good morning, everybody. This is Mike Pazesny with Public Safety Today, bringing you presentations from the American Public Safety Training Institute, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Our focus is on building community within the public safety profession and collaborating to develop optimum performance solutions for America's peacekeepers. And today we're going to be talking about crisis intervention as it applies to hostage negotiations. And I remember a long time ago when I went through hostage negotiation school, it was set up under the um, the old methods of dealing with things. You know, you had a certain amount of patience, and then people would be looking at you like, okay, well, are you ever going to get your act together and get those hostages out of there? And then then you would go ahead and you would take uh, you would take force and you would you would apply force and you would relieve that tactical situation and and uh, get rid of the HT, the hostage taker. We have we have changed our methodologies over the years, and thankfully so, and have understood now that we have been able to apply qualitative and quantitative analysis to the um, situations surrounding hostage taking and hostage negotiating that we better understand that a lot of these situations uh, would be able to be handled much better by non-aggressive means. And so there is a there's kind of a schism which is developed between the old guard and the new guard about how to handle hostage hostage negotiations. Now this presentation, this broadcast, is a training presentation that is meant to augment crisis intervention, one of the college courses that I'm teaching at the present time. And uh, the training manual that we're going to be using for this class is Richard James's book, Crisis Intervention Strategies, specifically the sixth edition. When we take a look at hostage negotiations and hostage situations from a law enforcement perspective, it incorporates a complicated apparatus that we refer to as incident command systems. ICS, and on more of a federal type basis, something called NIMS, National Incident Management System. Um, ICS is a, a, a kind of a rollout, an emergency rollout of different types of positions that have been pre-planned to support that local jurisdiction with whatever emergency is taking place. I'm going to use the city of Tyler, Texas Police Department's um, a command structure uh, to try to explain to you what the typical law enforcement command structure is going to look like in one of these hostage situations. They've done a really good job of detailing their incident command system for hostage situations. And when you look at it, you basically have three principal uh, commanders. You have your, your incident commander, which is your, your chief person that is going to be responsible for taking care of whatever the situation is. And then you have a – who's usually going to be from a law enforcement agency. Uh, then you're going to have the fire department incident commander, and the fire department is going to be there, and they're going to have – sections. You know, they're going to have rescue and the paramedics and the firefighting sections, which are either active or on standby in order to be able to support the mission. And the fire department incident commander will be in close contact with the incident commander that's handling the hostage situation to provide whatever support is needed. 
then you're going to have a field commander, local law enforcement field commander. And that field commander is going to be there to support the incident commander. So the field commander has different different units and sections that are that they're responsible for. Personnel, operations, logistics, perimeter security, traffic control, uh, evacuation. They'll be involved in the crime scene, securing the crime scene at the time that everything's taking place, and they'll be responsible for investigations of the crime scene afterwards. So the incident commander then can focus on this this barricaded hostage situation uh, with all of the resources that they need immediately at their disposal. When when we talk about what's what's available for them at their disposal, they're going to have a direct relationship with the field commander, the fire department incident commander, and then they're going to have some subordinate personnel. The subordinate personnel tend to be six individuals that are directly subordinate to the incident commander. You're going to have a mutual aid resources person that is going to be kind of their their liaison with the fire department and with other people outside to, to marshal those resources that are needed. They're going to have a media liaison so that they don't have to have their time taken up with uh, communicating with the media, that they're going to have a responsible person where that's going to be their primary responsibility. They, they have that local law enforcement field commander and fire department they have to be communicating with that aren't necessarily subordinate to them, but but um, are working with them as support. And then they have a special operations commander. And that special operations commander is the point person on on the ground that is that is specifically responsible for the relief of the operation, you know, for this operation being successfully conducted. Now that special operations commander, has a crisis negotiations team leader, tactical team leader, and tactical operations center that is responsible to them. So the crisis negotiations team is normally made up of the team leader, the assistant team leader, a primary negotiator, secondary negotiator, because you don't know how long negotiations are going to go on, and you have to make sure that the negotiators are effective, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. You'll have an intelligence officer. You might have a journalist there to document everything that's being done, a psychologist, which may be a technical advisor that's on the team, and, and then you'll have you know some other technical person that might be involved with crisis negotiations based on what you need the subject matter expert for. So that's the crisis negotiation team. The tactical team uh, will consist of tactical team leaders and sniper controllers. The tactical team leader will have assault groups, containment teams, breaching teams uh, and hostage handlers, and then the sniper controller will typically have two to three sniper teams that they're responsible for controlling. And the tactical team lead will be responsible for the assault groups and the breaching and the hostage handlers and the sniper controllers and and those kinds of things. Then the, the third aspect or branch of the Special Operations Commanders group is the Tactical Operations Center. Within the Tactical Operations Center, you'll have a coordinator that's managing everything. You'll have an assistant coordinator just in the event that you need to relieve the coordinator. You'll have an information handler, which is your intel person. You'll have a sniper coordinator, and that sniper coordinator will take care of pattern analysis, uh, communications within the sniper group, and, and that kind of thing, and being able to provide them with the resources that they need. So we have this... It's not it's not set up as a as a as a pyramid really, but you do have an incident commander, a local law enforcement commander, and a fire department incident commander that are at the top of this, and then coming down underneath that incident commander are 
media liaison, the mutual aid resources, and then the special operations commander. And that SOC, that SOC, has a crisis negotiations team, tactical team, and tactical operations center. So that, that kind of gives you an idea of the command structure of one of these hostage negotiation teams. And that that kind of gives you an idea of the mindsets of the individuals from an enforcement role who will be prepared to do whatever is necessary uh, to uh, to gain positive control over the situation. When we take a look at it from the person who is the hostage taker, the HT, you know, what is it that we're seeing? Well, the demographics typically consist of a, a 15 to 25-year-old male, um, a lot of times as African-American or Latino, low socioeconomic status with an IQ usually of less than 90, uh, usually an underachiever from an educational standpoint that may probably have some substance abuse issues, may be unemployed or may be very transient when it comes to their employment and transient when it comes to any kind of residential stability. Um, um, sometimes there will be a psychological disorder involved. Sometimes they will be a victim of child abuse uh, or family violence of some kind, domestic violence. There may or may not be an association with some kind of an organized street gang, but probably is. There probably will be a lack of emotional support as a part of the uh, violence-prone household that they live in. And because of the violence that they have been associated with, there'll be a high interest in weapons and in things that can get them um, some semblance of power and control in their lives. They may have arrests or convictions for violent behavior before, mental commitments or a juvenile record of violent crimes, or if they are suffering from conduct disorder, uh, they may have a history of arson or animal torture. Um, they may have already have done in somebody who has been significant in their life. We really don't know. Uh, but one of the things that we have to do is to assess what the violence is for, you know, what the potential is for violence within the situation by finding out as much as we possibly can about the individual who is involved. If we take a look at the the crisis response team structure, the team structure there is usually aligned with the kinds of individuals who will be who they're dealing with. Uh, the team leader will normally be a senior officer in the police department who recognizes and organizes the crisis response team, selects its members, usually will be involved in planning and overseeing the training that uh, takes place, and will make the deployment decisions um, of the team in those emergencies. They may overlap the on-scene commander in that, with that on-scene incident commander being the person in charge of the actual hostage crisis. So everything that goes on is all the responsibility of the team leader or the on-scene commander, depending on how they have themselves organized. You have the negotiator. The negotiator has a role, obviously. It's a central, pivotal role. But the negotiator is not the person who is in charge. The team leader, the on-scene commander, is the one who's in charge. Typically, you'll have a primary negotiator and secondary or backup negotiators. And if there uh, are language or cultural barriers that might be involved, and that's, that's a great reason to have secondary negotiators already trained that might be able to be sensitive to and can facilitate uh, those language or cultural barriers being resolved. The, the intelligence officer's job gathers, uh, is to gather information about the hostage taker as well as the hostages who may be involved. If there are family members, if there's any kind of mental health treatment history, uh, identity of the hostages, and if there is a relation between the hostage to the hostage taker, any kind of intel. A lot of times, 
not only are there relationships between the HT and the hostages, but there may be mental health issues in there that um, can impact what it is that needs to be done to handle the situation. The communications officer keeps in contact with everybody involved, establishes the telephone list, works with the firefighting and the EMS services and the power and phone companies and gets all of those people online. The public information officer we talked about, the media person, is the one who's charged with the duty of accurate and rumor-free information to the media and the general public. You don't want to compromise the operation with the information which is given out, but you also don't want to lead anybody astray as to what it is that's going on because then that's going to come back uh, to bite you. And then that tactical team that we talked about, Special Weapons and Tactics Unit, has specialized marksmen in it and other professionals whose job it is to make a forced entry if that's what it is that has to be done. That team psychologist, um, and some units will call them a, a consultant, generally has two roles. One is to participate in the training and the selection of personnel to constitute the team to begin with, and then they offer operational assistance during the actual crisis itself. They'll monitor the negotiation process. They'll help to profile the hostages and the HTs. They'll assess how much danger and risk level there might happen to be. They may even monitor the mental status of the negotiators and other people who are on scene. They may actually be involved in debriefing and the debriefing process and in helping counseling uh, some of the officers who were involved in the event that the situation goes south. And uh, they need some kind of assistance with being able to resolve issues that they have as a result of what it is that they witnessed. So if we, in, if we take a look at hostage negotiations these days, we're really looking at it more from an aspect of emergency mental health than we are hostage a hostage crisis from a tactical perspective we have we have changed you know we have to appreciate the fact that about every 20 years in this country there's another generation being born who handles things a different way and if we're going to be intelligent public safety professionals then we have to have a historical perspective in dealing appropriately with the people who are uh, our responsibility in the case of a hostage taker, <clears throat> we need to define those things that are going to work best for that hostage taker, and we need to understand those within the lens of what part of the socioeconomic status they come from and that they're involved in, and to reflect that in relation to the officers we have responding to the scene. Lives are at imminent risk of violent death often at the hands of somebody who is unstable and somebody who is desperate. And, and they are in the middle of a chaotic and uncontrolled environment. So there is homicidal rage. There may be suicidal despair. There may be mental disorder, which is complicating things. There may be substance abuse issues that are involved. Uh, there are times where hostages may be at the mercy of somebody who is just a sociopath who doesn't have any qualms about killing their victims if he thinks that that's going to get him what it is that he wants. And the resolution of hostage situations may take a few hours. It could take days. And it may involve few resources. It may involve all of the resources that that department has. And so we have to be prepared to run the gamut on these things. But what's really great in the development of hostage negotiation of late is that it's not the same 
aggressive tactical strategy that I was initially taught when I went through hostage negotiation school. It has now morphed into a more intelligent form of policing that takes all of these variables into account and treats this as a uh, crisis intervention situation more than it does something which is better resolved by use of force. And what's one of the main reasons why we don't want to use use of force? I mean, because in, in most of these cases, there are not hostages that are involved. So let's take the hostages out of the equation and ask ourselves, why use force? Why take a chance on having public safety personnel injured or killed um, when that need does not exist? Now, forget about the hostage taker or forget about the person who has barricaded themselves and, and is causing the whole mess. Think about your public safety personnel who are just trying to do their job that they do every day, and now they're thrust into this situation. Why put them in harm's way if, if you don't really need to? Especially in today's chaotic uh, theater of events where we have the potential for a terrorist situation where what do the terrorists do? They go ahead and they stage an event. And then they stage a secondary event, which is time specifically to take out those first responders. So why do we want to take a chance of throwing our first responders into a situation so that we can rah-rah how, how brave everybody is, only to have some of those first responders taken out so that we're creating widows in the process? That just doesn't make sense. So by handling this as more of a crisis intervention situation, being sensitive to why it is that people do these things to begin with, then we can handle real-life hostage crises and the factors that contribute to that risk uh, for a more successful resolution. And, it's, and this, is, this is where we have to understand that, that current day's hostage negotiation philosophy uh, applies to a, basically a, a kind of a dual audience. Uh, we have mental health professionals on one hand. We have law enforcement professionals on the other hand. That's why the American Public Safety Training Institute's goal is to build collaboration to develop optimum performance solutions for America's peacekeepers. One of the things that we're trying to accomplish is to get more people to come and sit down at the table and collaborate how it is to go about doing things so that when we establish policies and procedures out there in the field, that those men and women who are trying to advance an orderly society are doing so using the latest intelligence information and the smartest techniques and that they have the best equipment and the best resources available so that they go home every night. So this collaborative relationship between the mental health professionals and those law enforcement professionals is critical to be able to handle the complex duties of policing and criminal justice that we have today including those life and death responsibilities that are faced in moments of crisis intervention. And these, these, these hostage negotiation techniques that we're going to be talking about apply to a lot of different scenarios. If you take a look at what a hostage crisis typically is, there's a lot of things that apply in other scenarios that apply to hostage situations. For example, domestic violence crimes, where you have a power and a control cycle, uh, which which uh, continues through a relationship in which case the the hostage can't leave when they want to leave and that they're being manipulated and being controlled by another individual. It's This is just taking it to, an, to a higher level when all of a sudden we get our law enforcement personnel involved in the situation because it's no longer a private situation. 
Fewer than 20% of law enforcement critical incidents deal with any actual hostage taking. Most crises are resolved without any loss of life whatsoever. There's a 95% success rate in terms of resolving hostage crises across this country without fatalities, either to the hostages or the hostage takers. And, and that is a remarkable tribute to the or it's a tribute to the remarkable ability and capacity and the um, the results being generated by our public safety professionals who are out there. So what we're getting what we're getting ready to do is to take a look at uh, what are the different periods in a hostage situation? How are they set up? What is it that we have to worry about? You know, the first 15 to 45 minutes is typically when there's a lot of confusion, a lot of panic, uh, and that's when we have the potential to make the greatest number of of errors. During the surrender of the HTs uh, is the, is another time frame that we can make the greatest number of errors because uh, there can be somebody who makes a snap decision that doesn't need to be made, and then the whole thing goes bad. And then finally, the there's a third part of this uh, where if we have to go tactical, you know, it's called if if the team has to go in, if if we go going in as a tactical assault, then that's what carries the highest casualty rate. The first reason it carries a high casualty rate is because uh, the fact that tactical intervention is necessary indicates that everything else we've done has been of no use whatsoever. And so it's violence against whoever happens to be within the structure. Uh, second, if there's a firefight, the panic and the confusion could result in hostages being injured or killed in the process or some of our public safety personnel. So for various reasons, we have to try to use crisis intervention as successfully as possible to ensure that these kinds of situations don't happen. And for a variety of reasons, psychologists a lot of times don't serve as hostage negotiators. It is still considered to be the purview of law enforcement uh, and law enforcement crisis management teams. What we are seeing is an evolution, though, in law enforcement org charts that indicates as the leadership gets smarter and as the budgeting allows, it is understood that crisis teams that include a mental health uh, consultant or a mental health person on the team on a regular basis can enhance the overall effectiveness of the team. And so this departmental attitude about allocation of resources to be able to get a mental health person on the team is usually going to result in uh, a higher level of excellence, a higher level of performance overall, including the mental health aspects, weapons and tactics and communications and all these other aspects as a, a more advanced understanding of the psychology of these individuals uh, becomes part of what it is that is utilized um, out in the field. So we're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we're going to get into some FBI stats about incidents in which we have people who are barricaded, and we're going to take a look at um, what are some of the reasons that hostage takings occur uh, so that we can be better mentally prepared for what we need to do. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You are listening to the American Public Safety Training Institute. You may have a degree, but do you have what it takes? Get your foot in the door by earning your certificate now. 
Online and field training available now from Tasty. Get the skills from the best trainers in America. Find out how at www.tapsd.org. 